Well, good morning, Encounter Church online and on lawn. We're glad to be able to worship together this morning and glad, uh, happy for technology to bring us together. Hey, we are in part four of the series called Splinters and Stones. And the, the idea behind the series, it's kind of a kind of our play on that old nursery rhyme. Maybe you've learned it too. It's sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never, will never hurt me. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. So just to kind of catch you up, uh, part one, we introduced that words are powerful. Words are, in fact, a matter of life and death. Part two is all about empty words. Part three is last week, words that build. And now part four is just a simple takeaway, this right here. It's the key to communicating. And man, do we need to learn about the key to communication this morning? I mean, just it's for me, it's for us as a community, as a church, it's us for a nation. We have to understand, we have to learn and grow in our ability to communicate with one another. So just like as an example, a little while ago, uh, my wife and I get in, got into a little bit of a little bit of an argument. And I know for those of you who know us, yeah, that's, that's surprising that we'd both be uh, opinionated about something. But no, no, actually the argument that we were having in this case was the scheduling conflict. You see, uh, both of us had scheduled to be away one evening and it was like uh, 36 hours away that we realized this. So we didn't have a lot of time to line up some childcare. You know, normally it's okay. We can both go away, except we really didn't want to leave our seven and nine-year-old home alone. And the, the clock was ticking down. We had to figure this out. So while we're both like, like trying to figure out, you know, what we're going to do, how we're going to resolve this conflict. At the same time, we're both in, in a nice way, or at least kind of like a West Michigan nice way, trying to like get ourselves off the hook, right? And, and, and let the other person know, that, well, this, this situation isn't my fault. You know, I wasn't the one who messed up. I didn't make a mistake. And so in the course of the, uh, of the conversation, I, I came to a boiling point. I bring up my phone and I'm like, look, right here. I mean, I had it in my calendar, in our calendar first. And in that moment, I looked at it and I realized that the appointment is in my phone, but it's in the wrong color, which means that it was on the wrong calendar, which means that it never showed up in her phone, which means that I was wrong. And so what do I do in that moment when I realize that I'm wrong? Well, I did what I have told many of you to do, right? Own your mistakes, confess it, uh, up front, uh, ask for forgiveness, work towards reconciliation. No, I don't do any of those things, right? No, I, I double down, right? I didn't stand there and I blame anybody and everybody else. And I'm, I'm like, no, no, it's Google Calendar's fault or it's Apple's fault for making this a possibility, right? It's everybody's fault except mine. And I have to realize, we realize we need a much better way to communicate. We need to figure out how to talk about some of these tensions and how to resolve some of this conflict together. I mean, especially like for us as, as a nation right now, we need to be able to figure this thing out. We need to be able to communicate in a more healthy, productive, conflict resolution kind of way. Especially as we have the, the elections coming up this November and there's like kind of this tension that, that's rising palpably. Uh, this race conversation in America and in the church today, we need to be able to figure this thing out, to, to talk uh, openly and actually resolve some of the conflict and the tensions that we have. Uh, for us as a, as a church community, as we work towards, uh, as we work towards reopening live in-person worship experiences and how, when to do that and how to do that, I mean, there's so much, so much potential conflict all around us. We need to figure out how best to communicate together. 
And the good news for us this morning is that God, in his wisdom, has actually included in his little book of the Bible, in the back of the New Testament, called James, all kinds of great wisdom and how to communicate effectively, how to communicate with each other well. And so we're going to dig into some of that in just a moment. But before we go to the book of James and, and hear what God has to tell us about communication, I just kind of want to set up, I want to talk about James uh, as a whole. Because James goes by another name, right? It's a letter, it's written to a church, kind of open letter to a lot of people. But the author here, James, went by another name at some point. They called him James, the brother of Jesus. And they, and they weren't just exaggerating. That wasn't just a name that they gave him. James was actually the little brother of Jesus, the Messiah. And now listen, church, like there's a ton of great reasons for believing in the resurrection. I mean, there's reasons like, um, you know, after the resurrection, hundreds of people saw Jesus rise from the dead. And then those people, they went to their death, believing in what they saw. Uh, and, and you're like, people don't die. People don't go to their early death for a hoax, right? So like, there's great reasons. You know, one of my favorite um, reasons for the believing the resurrection is, uh, this guy took a look at just how, how thoroughly and how deeply the Jewish community held on to their identity no matter what. And one of those key identity points was the, there was the observance of the Sabbath day. It was totally unique in the ancient world. Nobody else had a, a day off like the Jewish people had and through different kingdom on different kingdom. They would just continue to observe the Sabbath. It was this absolutely unique thing to them no matter what. Through it all, they held on to this identity. And then after the resurrection, for some reason, these really good Jewish kids like just changed, totally switched up their Sabbath day observance. Like they just switched it from Saturday to, to Sunday. And it's like, listen, something monumental, something earth-shaking, ground-moving must have happened in order for them just to do that. You don't just move it one day. And the belief then is that the resurrection of Jesus was the only thing that could have moved it. There's a lot of good reasons for believing the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But I think far and away, the best one is that the little brother of Jesus, James, who never followed Jesus, there's no indication that he ever followed Jesus in Jesus' three-year earthly ministry. But after his ministry was done, after the resurrection, James not only became a follower of Jesus, but he actually became a leader in the Jerusalem church. Why? What could convince a little brother to believe that his brother was the son of God? Speaking as a little brother, nothing short of a resurrection could change that. And it did. It changed that. It changed James. And so James now writes down, he sits down and writes his open letter to the church, to Christians, wherever they may be found, encouraging them. And what I love about this passage is that we're going to read it, but you have to know that it comes, it comes amidst and kind of in the backdrop of severe persecution. Like these people, the Christians, as scattered as they are, they are, they are beaten up and they're arrested. I mean, it's a bad situation for all of them, wherever they might be. And James is entirely reorganizing the social, the cultural landscape, all in the name of his big brother, half-brother, Jesus Christ. So like against that backdrop, listen to what he has to say from James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, right off the bat, you see how James is reorganizing the cultural backdrop. You know how often 
uh, how rare it is that somebody would address a letter, dear brothers and sisters, that he, that he addresses the ladies in the group. It's unheard of. But, but James, in the name of his big brother, Jesus, in the name of his resurrected Savior, he's entirely reorganizing these social and cultural ties that bring people together, these norms, the systems of understanding. Okay, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, a dull pencil beats a sharp mind in remembering the truths that God tells you. Take note of this. Write this down. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, at the risk of like having everybody just kind of tune off and find a different page, this is the big takeaway. This is everything. This is like the one thing that we need to hang on to for our time together, for the key to communicating every single time to speed up your listening and slow down your talking. You see, one of the things in that argument that I told you earlier, one of the things that happened inside of me is that even as, my, uh, even as I realized that, that the calendar was wrong, that it was in fact my fault the whole time, what was happening? As I was doubling down and blaming Apple and blaming Google, blaming everybody but me, one of the things that was happening is that I noticed my, my hands like start to close. That happens when I get upset. That happens when I get frustrated. That happens when I get angry. My hands close. And maybe you're the same way. And when something doesn't go your way and you're just like frustrated, you don't know what to do, it's like it's just closed hands. And closed hands are a sign, not only closed hands, closed minds, closed hearts. And there's not going to be no understanding and there's going to be no listening. There's going to be no growth, no perspective change. There's going to be none of that. Because again, we have closed hands, closed mind, closed hearts. We can't, we can't experience the journey that somebody else is on or walking in their shoes. We can't see things from their perspective, not with a closed mind, closed heart, and closed, closed hands. And so what James does here is he just, he outlines for us. And he's like, you want to resolve that? You want to open your hands, open your mind, open your heart to be able to resolve some of this tension, some of this conflict that's going on? This is, this is how to do that. Slow down the talking and speed up that listening. That's how that happens. I know kind of like, as you're thinking like, okay, this is a little bit too simple. I mean, especially because I know that we all want to be heard. We all want to be understood. We all want to be listened to, even if the, even if the, con uh, even if the conflict isn't resolved, we still want to be listened to. But if I slow down my talking and if I speed up my listening, I'm not going to be heard. Because I'm not talking, Dirk, it's obvious. I need, to, I need to talk in order for my point, my eloquent point to be put out there. I mean, Dirk, you're talking at me right now. That's how this whole thing works, right? Well, it's true. I mean, I am I'm talking at you right now. Uh, but I want to call us back to something. I kind of want to challenge that. Because every once in a while, you have like these, these biblical truths that God gives us, uh, inspired from heaven, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, carrying James along to, to write these words down that are infinitely more profound than even he realized. And every once in a while, you've got these truths that God gives us, and we've got like this worldly kind of wisdom that just lines up with it. And I just love when that happens. I love pointing it out to you. So years and years and years ago, there was this guy, um, Dr. Morabian. He was a social scientist. And what he did is he got people together, and he just studied how they communicated. And what he noticed in the, in the studies of like all this communication that went on and on and on is that among the, the amount of communication he found that, I just want to get my numbers right here. He found that 55% of everything that was communicated was communicated visually. It's how the person appeared, how the person looked, 
uh, facial cues maybe. 55% of the communication was visual. 38% of what was communicated was vocal, non-verbal, which means it was, uh, it was auditory, it was grunts, <clears throat> it was hmm, it was sighs, right? It was, vo- it was vocal, non-verbal, and only 7% was left over of what was communicated. It was communicated verbally with words. And I also have to point out how all those start with Vs because Dr. Morabian was probably a preacher's kid, vo- visual, vocal, and verbal. No, I don't know that at all, but there are three points. Um, anyway, uh, this study has been repeated and repeated, and sometimes some of those, some of those balances change depending on, depending on the research, depending on kind of the angle behind it. But overall, uh, everybody who studied this has concluded again and again and again that communication overwhelmingly happens without words. In fact, Dr. Moravian found, if you're doing your math, 93% of what you are communicating, you are not communicating with words. Do you really want to hang on to the belief that you have to be talking in order to be heard, in order to be listening? Aren't you communicating all the time? I heard a podcast a long time ago um, that I just found so much wisdom. And I, just one of these things that, uh, that, that stuck with me. And it was, uh, was kind of like a business leadership podcast uh, that, you know, some of you maybe that uh, work with some people or maybe have some oversight over influence with people, a sales team or, or something like that. Um, maybe you could benefit. But I, I think, as you'll see, that we, we could all benefit from it. It was about, uh, it was about filling in the gap. You see, the premise of the, uh, of the podcast, the person speaking, was, was that every time there's broken trust in a relationship, that broken trust opens a gap. And we are story-based creatures. We love story. And so we fill in the gap with whatever story we make up that, that makes sense to us. And then we hang on to that narrative or that story, whether whether it's true or not. And the classic example of this is that um, maybe there's an employee who, who doesn't show up for a business meeting and the supervisor takes it very, very personally. Not showing up for the meeting, that's a break in the gap. Uh, that's a break in the trust that opens the gap. And then the, the supervisor in that context starts to like fill in all of this meaning, all of this story as to, as to why the employee didn't show up. You know, it's because they don't, they don't respect me as a superior or as a boss, well, it's because they think that the meetings are pointless. You know, they said that thing one time that, that communicated. They don't really value being here, value being a part of the team. You know, there's all kinds of reasons. But the speaker in the podcast went on to say, uh, listen, maybe, maybe instead of us filling in that gap, it's our responsibility to not only listen, but, but if you have to talk, ask a question. It's like, well, aren't they just going to, keep on talking if we ask them questions? Yeah, that's the point. That's like what we're, what we're trying to do here because our responsibility is to slow down our speaking, speed up our listening. And so to fill in that gap, maybe instead of doing that just on our own, they said the supervisor should ask, sit the employee down, ask the question, why? Why weren't you at the meeting without any kind of example of the, the story behind it? And let them fill in the gap. That person goes on, right, to say something today it would It'd be something like, um, yeah, I, I went to the meeting. I was there. I showed up at the normal time, at the normal place, but like nobody else was there. I just figured that, I just figured that everybody kind of moved on and like didn't invite me to the new meeting time. And then they realized that the meeting was changed to Zoom and nobody told that person in today's world. 
But listen, like you can fill in the gap, ask the question. You can do that in all kinds of settings. You do that at work, you do that on the job site. You can do that. You do that at home with your family. Listen, some of the absolute worst parent fails in my life have come as a direct result of when something happens, red juice on the carpet, sticky stuff in the hair, like whatever it is. When that disappointment comes, that, that break in the trust happens, I'm the one to fill in the gap without asking question, why is the red juice on the carpet? Why is there sticky stuff in your hair? And I've had to, and I've had to own that and say, listen, I filled in the gap. And then I realized later on that it wasn't really, wasn't really your fault at all. That was an accident. And that was my interpretation of that thing. But listen, all of this could be averted. All of this conflict, all this argument, all this could be resolved so entirely well. If we what? If we speed up our listening and slow down our talking quick to listen, slow to speak. And then James takes it in an entirely new gear. Listen, because we didn't even finish verse 19. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Why? And verse 19, and slow to become angry. He goes there and slow to become angry. I mean, that's what happens when we're, when we're quick to judgment, quick to speak, slow to listen, slow, or we're quick also to become angry. It's almost, it's almost as if James, in the first century, 2,000 years ago, it's almost as if he has Facebook. He has social media. He has a 24-hour news cycle, almost as if he gets it. How often have you read something, seen something of what they posted, heard something that someone said, how often have you, have you taken that in? And there's like this, this boiling point inside of you. How, how, how often is it that there's like this visceral response to that, right? Where your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure starts to raise. Maybe you get like red in the face. And you're like, I'm not angry. It's like, no, you're, you're angry. I'm just, I'm frustrated. That's another word for angry. That's what that is. And James is like, that's a possibility. When somebody says something, believes something, or posts something that you disagree with, our natural response is often just to get angry, typically because we don't understand it. This is something that really challenged me uh, earlier this week, and I was just trying to do it all the time. And it was, it's so simple, so remarkably simple, but at the same time, incredibly difficult to, along the way is that every time I see something, and I encourage you to consider the same way, every time you see something, and maybe it's something someone says, maybe it's something what they believe, or something they post online, every time you see this and you find yourself asking, why in the world would they say that? How in the world could they believe that? What in the world? Why did they why do they do that thing? Whenever you're asking yourself that question, ask yourself the same question. When you don't know why someone does something, who's the one in that context that needs the education? In other words, James is giving you this option right here. He says that you can choose to get angry or you can choose to get an education. You see, chances are that person, whoever he or she may be, they have a reason, whether it's a good reason, whether it's an objective uh, reason, uh, whether it's a true reason or not, it doesn't matter. They have a reason for doing what they do. 
This comes out most of the time. It comes out politically. It comes out with finances, especially personal finances, right? It comes out with all kinds of spiritual uh, questions or beliefs about about God or non-beliefs about God. I mean, these are just some of the the big ones that that tend to boil up. You know, and then when they boil up, and then they're like, really? You think that? You believe that? You would do that in that situation? Why would you do that? And James says, listen, there it is again. You've got an option. You can either choose to respond and get angry or you can choose to respond and get an education. You can ask, no, really, why? Why would they believe that? Why would they do that? And I think, and I think that you would agree, that if we all did this, if we all slowed down our talking, if we use that 97% of communication that's, that's not communicating with the words, if we use that communication, slow it all the way down, if we're quick to listen, if we ask the question to fill in the gap, I think if we did all of this stuff, I think our families would start to take on a different shape, a more healthy shape. I think some of the relationships, the friendships that we have, especially the close friendships that we'd have, I think they'd be better, especially if we could sustain that over the long term, five years, 10, 15 years down the road. I think that it would be a, a, a quality of friendships, a depth to the relationship that would just be better. I think our workplaces would be more enjoyable to go to. I think we'd be more productive in general. Listen, a lot of life would be so much better if we could just employ some of this stuff. And that applies, and that's helpful, I think, no matter who you are, the spiritual spectrum that you're on, if you believe in God, if you don't, not sure about Jesus. I think these words of James are just plain helpful, no matter what. And you would probably agree, okay, I'm going to choose. I could either get angry or I could get educated. Choice is mine. I'm going to ask a question, quick to listen. My relationships, my life will be better as a result, no matter what. But for those of you curious about the God element on this thing. I think that clarifies really the the underwater nature of the iceberg that James is casting us here. Because there's like this this tip that's just like, yeah, yeah, quick to listen. Why? Why quick to, why does that work? Why would it make our families better? I'm I'm not disputing the fact that it would, but James goes on then in verse 20 and he highlights just exactly why that is. And he says, because... Verse 20, this works because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, this human anger, that like visceral reaction, this speaking first and listening second, it it doesn't produce what you want it to produce. It doesn't, it produces your rightness, righteousness. It doesn't necessarily produce God's righteousness, rightness. I'll say it like this, guys, especially, and this is like, I'm on thin ice here and I know, but I'm speaking to you as somebody who has made this mistake time and time again, but I'm specifically talking to guys here. How often have you been in an argument with your significant other? How often have you been in an argument, maybe with your wife, if you're married and you're arguing about something and you found like some, some way, some, some angle to beat all other angles. Like you figured it out, right? You pull out your phone and instead of, realizing you're wrong. You realize she was wrong. And like you had the right answer all the time. You got to turn the phone over and say, see, conclusive evidence, I am right. And how often does she respond with nothing? 
because she left a long time ago and you were just like arguing with yourself like over and over and over again because you just had to be right. And when that happens, if that happens, if you ever had the chance to actually conclusively, objectively be right, did it feel like you won? (laughs) Of course I won. She didn't have a response. Maybe because she left a long time ago, but she didn't have a response. So I know I won. But did, did you really, though? You see, that's your rightness. That's my rightness. That's, that's my desire to get right or be right no matter what. And that's my ability. That's your ability to write someone right out of the relationship. And some of you, some of you have worked for people like this. Some of you have like maybe had a supervisor or a boss sometime that just had to be right no matter what. And every time like some project came up and disagreement about how to handle that thing and they just came and like leveled you with all the facts or statistics or why I'm right and you're wrong. And maybe they were. That's beside the point because you left the company a long time ago. You left the organization because you you didn't want that. You see, what you're experiencing is what we all experience. We want to be right at someone, but the gospel has a different angle. God has a different angle. He wants us to be right with others, with one another around us. I want to be right. You want to be right at someone. God wants us to be right with one another. That's, that's, the, that, that's what God is trying to produce inside of us, that rightness, that righteousness of God being right with one another. Another simple way to put this is, is that we are more important than me. It's just, it's, it's simple as that. God is interested in the we. We are more important than me. You know how we know that? We look at the heart of God. We look at who Jesus is. We look at what he has done. You know, if God was only concerned with being right, you know how long it would have taken Jesus to objectively, conclusively demonstrate that he was right? I think it would take all of five seconds. Jesus just splitting open the skies, right? I just imagine a booming voice, maybe some trumpets, probably. Some horses, I don't know, right? Whatever he, whatever he wanted to do, that's the point. He's God. You know how long it would take God to demonstrate that he's right? Not long at all. But how did Jesus do it? When he wanted not only to be right, but get us right with him, for us to be reconciled to him, how did he do it? Jesus comes not with a sky split apart and blasting trumpets. Jesus comes as a baby. I mean, for crying out loud, that's all he could do is cry out loud. He couldn't use words at all. You look at Jesus, he came not as a prince, not as a poet. He came as a peasant. He came as a nothing. And he grew up as that without any influence whatsoever. He grew up with 30 years before his ministry officially began, 30 years of listening, of asking questions, of communicating visually, verbally, vocally. He wants to understand, wants to walk in their shoes. He wants today to walk in your shoes with you. 
And when the time came to open his mouth and to speak and to teach, the followers of Jesus remarked in that day that when he started to teach, he taught differently than the normal people who stood on stage. He taught differently than the, than the religious or spiritual authorities. He taught as somebody with a special kind of authority. He taught as someone who understood and understands. He taught as somebody who lived life and modeled life with open hands, an open heart, and an open mind to receive them. That's what Jesus' ministry was all about. That was his authority that he brought. He could live life in such a way that he wrapped himself in humanity to teach us what it means to be human with, not at, with one another. But James isn't done yet. James isn't done yet. He says in verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. Now, isn't it interesting that James contrasts these two pictures, this moral filth with salvation? And in the context of our conversation, as we've unloaded this, um, this passage in James chapter 1, we can see some of this moral filth that he's talking about is this incessant desire to, to not just get right, but to be right no matter what. And James looks at that and goes, it's, it's filthy. Contrast that with salvation on the other end, this moral filth, this, this need to be right all the time. It's, it's filthy. You know Why? Because it'll drive everybody in your life away. You can write your kids right out of the house. You can write your coworkers right out of the organization. You can write your ministry leaders right out of the church. It's driving people away. And you might surround yourself with new people, but, but listen, you drive away people so often that, that anybody that you might introduce, it's going to be a shallow depth to the relationship at best. And if you are allowed to do that on and on and on into your life, it's just going to get a, a more lonely and a more isolating experience. And if you're allowed to do that even, even after death on into eternity, and then if you're surrounded with like-minded people who always had to be right at one another, and if this was the only people that you were with and, and you're allowed to grow in that direction on and on and on, on into infinity, wouldn't that existence look a lot like hell. But on the other hand, if you could pick up these words of Jesus, his posture for life, open heart, open mind, open hand towards one another, getting right, not just at somebody, but with somebody seeking to, to reconcile together. And if you're allowed to grow in that and grow in the depth of your relationships on and on throughout your life and then on and on, if you're, if you're allowed in the name of Jesus to continue on after death, on into eternity and be, and be surrounded with like-minded people 
who live life with an open heart towards one another, who rather than get angry, choose to get an education and, and, and ask good questions. If you're allowed to live an existence like that with others like that, wouldn't that look a lot like heaven? So the question is again before you, church today, with the words that you speak or the questions you ask or the silence that communicates your listening, are you going to choose this week to cast a stone of judgment and condemnation to be right or listen? Ask a question, get an education, and share a splinter of the cross in, in redemption and restoration. And so, God, we pray, Jesus, following in your footsteps, that you show us what it means to be kind and patient and surrender our desire and right to get even, surrender that up to you. God, as tensions rise inevitably this week over what it, whatever it may be, God, may you give us this supernatural ability to remain quiet and inquisitiveness. God, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead. May our social customs and our norms of behavior, might makes right, may all of this be overturned. And Jesus, when we don't know where else to turn, when we don't know how else to listen, may we simply hold on and listen to your word, which can and does save us. Amen.